What's up class? This is Optimus Fields at My Living Truth and we're back for another episode. I believe this is episode 21 if I'm not mistaken and we're at block height 646,634 and we got a little dip today people. The price is 10,306 currently and Nick take it away. Hey guys really glad to be here again uh it sucks that we had to miss last week but last week was pretty much an in real life bitcoin kindergarten because most of us were at a bit block boom hanging out getting drunk being complete degenerates but um yeah i'm pretty sure everyone was buying the dip on twitter today i saw shit going off left and right i saw a ton of cash app buys today but before we get into the main event for tonight, we have a quick word from our from our sponsor. We're very proud and excited to announce that Citadel 21 is our first ever sponsor. Citadel 21 is a cultural zine. Is it zine or zen? Zine. Zine? Yeah, I think it's zine. <laughs> and it well, it displays the best of the best written content directly by the Taco Plebs. You can read their articles online for free or even purchase physical copies of all your favorite volumes. You can even purchase uh, the, uh, the volume three that I had an article in coming up soon. But you got to be quick because they only have a limited amount and they sell out really fast. They started with volume one at about, I think, a thousand copies. And I think there's less than 30 left. So, yeah. Go check them out. Read all their articles at citadel21.com. The link will be in the YouTube description as well as all the uh, Apple description and Spotify description. So, yeah, really happy and proud to be um, working with Hot or Not and Caddy on that. Yeah, can I jump in real quick? I, I just want to do a quick shout out as well. Super hyped to be a part of the Citadel 21 family. When Nick told me, I was kind of in shock. So, you know, shout out to them. Shout out to all the Bitcoin plebs out there doing doing Satoshi's work. Super proud to be a part of that family. And uh yeah, man. Just let let's let's take this shit to the moon. Alright, alright, go Nick. No, dude, it, it's just amazing um how much, you know, Bitcoiners treat each other like family. Like Hodlnod didn't have to do that. I know he also did that to Caro's podcast as well, the Bitcoin Rehab. So we're not the only ones sponsored by them, but it's really dope to be working with them. But now, on to tonight, we have Ben the Carmen as our main guest. Ben the Carmen is of Bits, and I know he's worked on Wasabi Wallet as well. And tonight, he's going to be presenting how to activate a soft fork. So take it away, Ben. Hey guys, happy to be here. Um, just want to just jump right into it. Uh, whatever you want to do, dude. Yeah, you can jump into it or, or do a little preface, however you want to start it. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, like Nick said, I do work at Shirtbits. I've worked on other um, Bitcoin stuff, worked on Wasabi, like you said, worked on Core for a little bit. But yeah, today I wanted to talk about like Bitcoin forks, you know, like what they are, how they work, and uh, how to do them correctly. And then finally, can conclude with Taproot, which is likely the next Bitcoin fork, like why it's important and how we plan on doing it. But yeah, so let's get started. So what the fork is a fork. So forks occur when 
Bitcoin or any uh, protocol wants to make a rule change, there's two ways to do this. You either do a hard fork, which is where you have a rule change that's ba not backwards compatible, which means the previous rules um, now will not be able to support these new rules. So um, these are generally, you try to avoid this because you don't want to be knocking people off the network with old software. So to, to prevent that, you do a soft fork, which is which is a backwards compatible rule change. These are um, a lot better to do for your protocol, but they are harder to do. It requires you to be more clever. So like, you have to think of a way where it, make sure this is not going to break any previous node software. And you know, there's lots of different versions, so there's a lot more things you need to tweak. But uh, forks can happen on accident or on purpose. So like, lots of times. Um, you know, you'll have a bug in a software that will, you know, accidentally cause a chain split or, you know, a potential chain split. Um, a semi-recent one was back in 2018. Uh, there's a inflation bug in, introduced into the Bitcoin core software where someone could put two of the same inputs in a transaction. And if a, transa if a transaction had occurred that violated this rule, uh, since the bug occurred in some of the software, um, some of the nodes would have seen the transaction as valid versus previous ones would have not. So this would have caused a fork on accident, even though we weren't changing any rules. But um, after that bug is fixed, now there's no potential for a fork, so we're okay. But uh, Bitcoin has experienced around 20 forks throughout its lifetime, some very small, some larger than others. Um, most of them did occur at the very beginning of its stage of the stages. Like uh, There's probably maybe like 10 of them in the first like two years just because um, it was a very new protocol and um, very small network at the time too, so it was a lot easier for Satoshi and Gang to, you know, make changes without needing to coordinate like with multi-billion-dollar uh, facilities. So let's move on. So what are the goals of a fork? For a fork, um, you're making a change to the protocol. So obviously, you want that protocol change to be a net benefit to the system. Um, generally, you know, like we said, it's going to be a bug fix or a new feature. But uh, what you also need to consider is with this is, you know, is, is this bug fix worth the, like, the cost of actually going through a fork? Generally, if it's a bad bug fix, it will be. But the other smaller bugs where, you know, it's a very niche potential to attack. Maybe it's okay if that's there than, than having to go through an entire process where, you know, like, it's something like Segway where it has lots of political stuff and, um, you know, obviously that didn't go too well. So stuff like that can be apathetic. Uh, otherwise, though, a new feature. Uh, obviously, new features can be nice. But um, as well, you need to think, is this feature worth going through a fork and changing the protocol and having people upgrade their software? But um, generally, with a rule change, you, not, you don't want it to change the inherent properties of the system. So you don't want to add new security assumptions, like, you know, adding, you know, you don't want to make Bitcoin rely on new things or, you know, like make it more, uh, less than secure. And then you also want every user to agree, or at least the majority of the users to agree on this rule change. You don't want, you know, some central party just be like the US government just saying, you know, this is a rule change for Bitcoin, because obviously that's not how you build a sound and secure system for the long run. And also the deployment, you want the same properties where you don't want just want like a small group of people deciding how it's deployed or if it's deployed. You want the whole ecosystem as a whole to decide what is going to happen, how it's going to be done, and what these actual changes are.
So we'll start with hard forks. Um, as we said before, a hard fork is a backwards incompatible rule change. So how that occurs is you're making a change of where something that was previously invalid now becomes valid. So an old software would see this thing that was previously invalid. And when they see the, uh, the new thing, they would say, this is not valid and uh, thus like reject the like transaction or block or whatever. But the new software would see that previously invalid thing and mark it as valid. So they would continue on. They'd both be in separate uh, new states and uh, that's how you occur a hard fork. So what this means is that every node and user software needs to upgrade so um, they can be compatible with these new rule changes. And this has a lot of very bad uh, security problems because uh, like we talked about with the inflation bug before if that if we had like done a hard fork before uh, that inflation bug was introduced then we could have seen where there's no software on the network that um, didn't have the inflation bug in it so if it did occur it would have just been part of the bitcoin history and every uh, node would have accepted it versus um if you're doing a soft fork now you have like the entire history of old software running on the network that will detect any future bugs and can uh you know they don't need to upgrade they can just stay what they want to do and uh hard forks generally result in two separate chains um like we've seen you know like all the bitcoin uh like bitcoin cash and all their subliminaries they they just keep hard forking and you know they're making new chains or you have like ethereum and ethereum classic like that created two separate chains generally with the hard fork you're going to create two separate chains because they're both viable to run and they can't um, reorg each other. And uh, it's debatable if Bitcoin has had a hard fork before. Um, the major one is the uh, my current bug where uh, there's like a 20 block uh, reorg. But um, yeah, it wasn't a consensus rule. It was an accidental consensus rule in the original software that was a bug. So, but yeah, we can talk about more of that later if you guys want. Um, so here's a visualization of a hard fork. The uh, the blocks on the left is where you're starting now, and it's continue on. And then once we introduce a new rule, um, it'll start a completely new chain, and the old chain can continue on. And these new two new chains cannot affect each other now because stuff valid in one chain is not valid in the other, so they cannot interact anymore. So soft forks. Uh, soft forks are backwards compatible, um, like basically the opposite of a hard fork. They're changing from something that was previously valid to invalid. So um, this makes it so you're just tightening the rules of a system. So like say um, an easy example is adding like a block size limit to Bitcoin. Previously there is no limit. So if someone uh, submitted a like a gigabyte block that would be valid, but after we added the one megabyte block limit, now that, that block would be invalid since it's too large, but all the blocks that were previously smaller than the limit were completely fine and continued on with no problem. So it doesn't require an upgrade by the user because if you're running like hypothetically this Bitcoin uh, client that did not have the block size limit encoded into it, it would see um, all the blocks that we're still under one megabyte blocks and wouldn't have to, you know, they don't care because it's, they're just not checking the size. And it shouldn't result in a chain split. This is because um, you won't, uh, like the, the new rules are backwards compatible. So 
if that as long as that is getting the majority hash power and uh, producing blocks faster than the other one then it, it will always reorg the old chain with the uh the, the like not new rules so it doesn't cause uh, chances to uh, create two separate chains it, it can't you like someone can mine a block on top of the old chain but most likely it'll just be reorged out and the miners will just you know lose that block reward so miners are incentivized to upgrade that way but they are like we talked about uh, earlier they are harder to do because you need to be clever in how you're doing these upgrades to make sure that it is backwards compatible and you're not breaking anything and you know since it has to be backwards compatible you have to stay entirely within the rules of the current system so you need to do like some fancy stuff to make sure if you want, do want to add a new feature this new feature can be added while also not breaking previous rules. So here's a visualization. You start out with these blue blocks on top, and then once we get the new rules, it goes down to the red one. You can see like this third blue block, that someone accidentally mined a block on top of the old chain or, or the old rules. But once this third red block is mined, then uh, that third blue block would be reorged out because now it's not part of the longest chain and nodes on the old rules We'll then just move on to the red chain and not need to care that a soft fork happened because um, they're just on a new chain in the longer chain. So why does Bitcoin use soft forks? I hope those last few slides showed you why it is important to use them. They're much more backwards compatible. It allows the older nodes to stay on the network, which is vital for security because you know you, you don't need to be constantly updating your network or your network software and um, there can always be new bugs and that helps prevent that so we have like a long history of node software on the network that cannot be uh, changed so if there's bugs introduced in the future then those node softwares would detect that and not let the the chain progress with those you know a hypothetical bug and it's much better for uh, decentralization um, having forcing everyone to upgrade their node is not ideal you know we don't want some someone to force an upgrade, you know, if I want to run an old client, I should be able to and stay in consensus and also ensures Bitcoin's inherent properties are not changed. Uh, technically, you could probably introduce stuff that changed the inherent properties with the software, but it's much, much harder to. And, um, you know, it's easy and it'll likely be rejected if you do, especially with the software. And there's the man in the coma problem where, you know, if you hypothetically went to a coma for the next 10 years, you want a system where you, that guy can just wake up and continue on and not need to, you know, go back and upgrade everything. And or he saw that he lost his Bitcoin because he didn't upgrade his uh, addresses while he was in a coma or something. So, um, yeah. So what are forks? Like we talked about, uh, they're rule changes to the Bitcoin protocol. Um, and what we want to do with these forks is we want them to be always be beneficial to the network backwards compatible and decided on by the community as a whole and activated on by the community as a whole. So you know what a fork is, but how do we actually do one? What do now? So activation methods. Um, the first day, way to activate a soft fork is a flag day. This is primarily what was used for almost all the early soft forks just because easier to do and um, since the network wasn't very big it allows it was like safe to do them so what you do is you set a time or a block height and you'll say you know after block 100 now 
the new rules would be set in stone and applied. Um, these rules then will then be enforced thereafter, like forever. But um, this isn't something where, you know, we'll say like on November 1st, everyone upgrade. That's when you turn on the new software. You'd upgrade like, you know, a month beforehand. And then once your node sees that uh, that time has been reached, then I'll start looking for blocks that are enforcing those rules. And um, like SegWit, a UASF is actually a flag day. So um, just to, if you want to be curious about that. So what are the pros and cons of this? Pros, you get a guaranteed activation. So um, there's no, like once it's in the code and you're running that software, you know, once that day hits, you're going to start enforcing those rules and there's no one that can stop you from enforcing those rules. And that makes it really easy to do. You know, you just code it up and, you know, now it's going to happen and it's not interactive. So, you know, once you're running the software, you, you don't need to change anything. You don't need to like talk to people to start doing it. It's just, you know, day X happens and now it's happening. Cons are though, guaranteed activation is also a con as well. Because, you know, if we have, if we find a problem in this proposal or we find like a bug in the software, now that, well, that's going to be happening on that person's node unless they change it. And if you get a significant number of people downloading that software, you know, we might have just soft forked something in the Bitcoin that we might have wanted after like further review. And it creates kind of a central point of failure where now developers are just straightly dictating what these consensus uh, changes are. But um, in the early Bitcoin days, that wasn't a huge problem since because it was mainly just developers using it. And there's no way to, like I talked about earlier, there's no way to cancel or back out of the change. You know, if there's any bugs or any problem with it, we're stuck with it. And there's a higher chance of a chain split. So um, if only users upgrade, but miners don't, miners could continue up, um, mining on the old chain. And, the, and then uh, users, won't, won't, if they don't have the hash power to compete, they could uh, create two chains. But uh, generally, uh, users are the one that uh, provide value for these miners. So they're going to want to follow what the users want. So um, in game theoretical sense, that shouldn't happen, but it's still a problem. Now, the other way is activation th uh, thresholds. Uh, generally, this is like something like BIP9, if you know what that is. So what miners do is they configure their block to be slightly different. Um, that'll just be a signal to the network saying, I'm ready for this rule change. Um, and since you're adding it to the block, uh, it's going to be weighted by hash power. So you know if I have 50% of the hash power, I'm now waiting like 50% of the network for my um, my signal versus if I'm someone with like 0.1% of the hash power, my signal is much weaker. So um, people that are more economically invested have a greater voice. Um, generally, activation thresholds, we do like 95% of blocks need to be signaling to activate. And this is over a difficulty adjustment period. So in span of 2016 blocks, if 95% uh, signal, then we'll activate. And generally, these activations have an expiration date, typically a year. So if we go over like a, a year without block signaling 95% uh, for the upgrade, then the whole activation will expire and will not go through with the upgrade. And this is also like before you would upgrade your software beforehand, like say a month before the activation starts. And then once the activation starts, your uh, software will be looking for these blocks that are signaling. And then once it sees enough, then I'll start enforcing like these new rules. So what are the pros and cons of this? Um, it greatly reduces chain splits because um, since you're 
waiting for miners to be signaling that they're going to start enforcing these rules, uh, like say with the 95% threshold, then you're going to guarantee once this upgrade happens that 95% of the hash power is on these new rules versus the 5%. So you have like if, if 5% can outmine 95%, you probably have bigger problems than what's going on with these chain splits. And that would happen anyways. And it provides a way to cancel an upgrade. So say if we did find a bug in a proposal and it was merged, but then we saw that like we found a bug and we saw this, this should not be added to the network. You know, miners would then be incentivized to not signal for this upgrade since you know, it is flawed and we shouldn't do that. And it can happen earlier. So um, like say, like I talked about earlier, like a one year timeout is generally the, uh, what we do. But like we've had soft forks or um, activation thresholds that would take like a couple of months or much faster. And then you don't like if, if a flag day, if we set it like three months ahead, you know, no, we always have to wait that three months with an activation threshold. We could get it within a month and not need to wait the whole time and start rolling out features as well. But uh, the cons of this, um, like with SegWit, miners can almost block the upgrade since they are then in control of if it gets activated or not. And this creates uncertainty for when or if it will happen. And then like like we saw with SegWit, um, that created like, uh, we'd have like mining pools, like shorting and longing, like if this upgrade happens and then moving that with their, um, if like if they're signaling or not. And that's just not good. And like it becomes political, which is a problem. So if you give miners too much power, it can be a problem. But if you can work with miners and they're economically incentivized, to do this upgrade, then uh, it's a lot safer to do and works out better than a flag day, in my opinion. Can, 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 I, can I jump in here real quick? Yeah. Um, based on that comment, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, so, I mean, like the Bitcoin Cash example, that fork is a great example of, of what happened when, because it, it was Bitmain, right? And they had, at one point, they had a larger hash rate than Bitcoin. And it wasn't necessarily that you need the miners to, uh, to you need the miners, you, you need the miners, I guess, um, working with you. Um, they're going to follow what the nodes do. The nodes are the ones that have the final say, not the miners. Because at the end of the day, the miners are just like paid security guards, right? Like they, they don't care, you know, like they just care about getting paid. Right. So um, in that sense, I don't think that the miners have as much power as 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 a lot of people think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I guess in the context of your, if you're only doing a like activation threshold upgrade, that's 100 percent true because the users, the nodes, they have always the ability to say, fuck you, miners, and use a flag day upgrade is like like what we did with Segwit, where we said, you know, we're not doing this. Uh, you guys aren't going to activate it. We'll do it ourselves and flag date it in. So um, let's talk about Bitcoin fork history like we kind of just did there. Um, flag date upgrades, uh, I could use an example for a block size limit. So back in 2010, there was absolutely no limit for how big a block could be. So I could mine a terabyte size block and it would be valid. Um, so this was considered a denial of service attack vector. Like, you know, if I gave you a terabyte block, that would probably wreck your node and you don't want to have to deal with that. So um, Satoshi and gang decided to add a one megabyte size limit to the blocks. 
So this was a soft fork because it's tightening the rules like we explained before. An unupgraded node would see a one megabyte block and that'd still be valid to them. So they'd continue on with the chain and the blocks that um, the upgraded nodes would obviously be enforcing the rules and see that's under the size limit and also continue on. So the block height that was set for this was um, 79,400, which occurred on September 20th. And that's when the rules started to be enforced. So I'm going to show you guys a little bit of code, but bear with me. Um, this, is, this is easier to explain, I think. So if you see here, it says if, and then if the block height is over 79,400, and if the block size is greater than the max size here, then that's what, then we'll return an error, and that's how we mock the block uh, invalid. So uh, um, any block that had a height before this, it would skip this line. It would just see, oh, the height's you know 69,000 or whatever, and continue on and not need to check the size. But now any block that is above this height it has this uh, check to make sure that it is the correct size. Um, so an activation threshold upgrade. Um, I did op, uh, check sequence verify. This was the last upgrade right before SegWit. Um, so what this was is a new opcode to be added to Bitcoin scripting language. Um, what it does is let you set uh, relative lock times. And um, I had a lot of good community support um, to add because it adds good functionality. I think it is used in Lightning. Um, and it's used in other applications that are definitely useful. And this was not functionality that we could have done before. So um, it was decided for the upgrade that May 1st, 2016, the activation period would begin and last a year. And uh, once a difficulty adjustment period reached 95% signaling, um, then OpCSV would then be an opcode that people can use. And uh, and then that rule would start being enforced. And then June 20th, so not even two months later, the threshold was met and OpCSB became functional. Um, I'm not going to show you guys the code for uh, this kind of upgrade. It's a lot more complicated and scattered, but um, yeah, I, th I hope you guys get to the point. So now enter BIP8. This is a combination of the two things we've been talking about this time. Well, what BIP8 is, it's a threshold upgrade, um, like we talked about before, but it gives you the option to do a flag day at the end, like a UASF, if you know if you decide that's what you want or if miners are being apathetic. So there's two versions, BIP8 false and BIP8 true. BIP8 false is like what we talked about before, where it's just a normal activation uh, threshold where you know, after a year, if there's no signaling, then the upgrade just doesn't happen and Bitcoin continues on as normal. But a BIP8 true, as you say, if we reach the end of this timeout, you know, after the year and miners haven't signaled, well, screw them. We're going to activate this, uh, the new upgrade, the new rule to the thing, and, my, and uh, nodes will start enforcing that. And uh, what's nice about this, too, is in the middle of a BIP8 false, say, like, the plan was originally to do, um, you wanted to play it safe and have that way to back out of the upgrade, or, you know, you just thought it'd be okay to do that. But you see, like you're getting no activation uh, signaling, and users really want this upgrade. They can always change it to a bit bay true, and uh, just continue on from there. And then the the nodes that don't change the bit bay true, it'll just be like they never upgraded their node, and um, they could always you know just upgrade to the bit bay true uh, software to start getting the uh, enforcement once that time period is reached. Um, so. Bitcoin's next fork. 
I hope you uh, like the carrot because that's taproot. Uh, taproot is three main changes rolled into one, um, all of them building on each other because if we did these individually, it wouldn't be as good of a change, but doing them all together at once increases the, they, they all benefit each other greatly and, and emboldens each other. So um, these three changes are Snore Signatures, Graph Root, and Tap Script. Uh, what Snore Signatures are is they, uh, it's a, it's a, currently Bitcoin uses ECDSA signatures. Um, you don't need to know what that acronym means. I don't even think I know what it means, but uh, what they, they, they're just uh, nicer signatures. They enable new use cases and optimizations in Bitcoin. Um, for example, like something I work on is DLCs and they, they become a lot prettier with uh, Snore Signatures. And uh, what, there's a lot of optimizations you can do because uh, with Snore signatures, you can batch verify them. So you can, uh, instead of having to in individually verify each signature, you can just add them all together and verify them and uh, save a lot of, of uh, computation time. This is great for like um, the initial block download. So like currently Bitcoin has something like uh, half a billion trend, or I think half a I think it's half a trillion transactions, um, and you know, there's the, those all, all those transactions have signatures to verify. But um, if you could just roll them up into like a, a, like you do those in batches, now it'll save you a whole lot of computation. And then uh, graft root. So this is how uh, it basically allows you to not reveal part of your script in your uh, transaction. Um, what that basically means is your transaction becomes smaller because now you're not, you're not revealing them much. And since you're not as revealing as much to the uh, chain, you're going to save a lot on privacy. And then uh, tab script, um, it's just an, a general improvement to the Bitcoin scripting language. Um, but as a user, it'll probably never affect you, but it lets new upgrades be a lot easier to do as well as um, there's, uh, you know, I add snore and uh, stuff like that, the, the actual use cases for it instead of having to use the old scripting language. So activation proposals for us. This is uh, taken from the uh, the Bitcoin wiki, but um, these are the main proposals going on right now. Um, that's a lot to take in, but the um, there's like a few of them here I want to note. So there's like BIP9 equivalent, which is like the threshold activation method we talked before, which is a BIP8 false with a one-year timeout. So what we would do is, you know, uh, wait for miners to signal. Over a year, if they do not signal, then activation doesn't happen. But then there's some uh, fancier ones here. So like modern software activation. This was uh, proposed by Matt Corallo, I think maybe mid last year. And uh, what his idea is to do a like a bitbait false with one one year timeout we talked about before but then um if if we don't activate then we'll wait six months discuss do we still want to do this if we do then we'll do a bit eight with a true with a two-year timeout so this way then you still have a uh, time to you know review and get time for people to get upgraded but as well then we're going to guarantee that this thing is going to happen because we do want to uproot because you know it's pretty cool Another thing, uh, this uh, this has kind of fallen out of uh, discussions, but the decreasing threshold software activation, this was proposed by AJ Towns, but similar thing. But instead of um, having a 95% threshold in the, the second period where you're waiting the two years, you extend it to a two and a half year, 
but do a decreasing th thresholds where I think it bottoms out at like 60%. So, you know, if we only have 80% of miners signaling, but it's a year in, then we'll start, uh, and I'll just activate because it, the threshold is decreased over time. And then uh, the start now, improve later. I, I'm kind of falling into this camp where I like to talk about before a little bit, where you're doing a bit bait, false, where you're going to, you know, not time it out at the end. But once we, like, we're really sure with this and it hasn't activated, then we can, we'll just switch it to true and force this upgrade in because we do want it. And then uh, the gently discourage apathy is a similar thing, just with a smaller time span. But yeah, um, so when taproot, uh, soon TM, the BIP 340, which is the Snore signature specification, just had a tweak uh, like last week. But after that, it seems like that BIP is finalized and all ready to go. And um, the the cryptography library that Bitcoin uses, which is called loopsecp 256k1, is um, very close to having the Schnorr functionality put into it. Um, it just got like, uh, like I got an, a, a, an ACK from Greg Maxwell, I think like two days ago. Um, and then there's people are just doing some final review, but looks like it's very close. And when that's ready, then the taproot ready to get merged into actually Bitcoin core will be a lot closer. And um, that's getting a lot of review. Um, I, I've actually been getting a ton of notifications during this from uh, people commenting on that PR. But uh, review is still needed because there was a bug found like maybe two or three weeks ago in the code, but um, that was fixed luckily. So um, good thing we are doing review. And uh, Bitcoin Core's release schedule dictates that the next major version will be in uh, December of this year. So likely Taproot will be in by then, and then we'll start the activation process maybe like January, February, um, if Taproot does get into that, which most likely it will. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Really enjoyed doing this, and um, I hope you learned something. Awesome, that was a good, that was a great presentation, bro. I just, I just want to emphasize something though, dude. Like, like even though Taproot and you touched upon this earlier on, like even though Taproot and uh, short signatures, I mean, they've been approved for a while now, right? Like, they, they, like everyone's like the whole consensus is like everyone wants to do it. The thing is that like the full rollout of this is going to take at least like two or three years because not everyone's going to update their nodes. You know, the, the whole, like, you know, like eventually, like I, eventually, like in two or three years, I would say like the majority of the, of the Bitcoin network is going to have that capability. But initially, man, I, I would say the minority of, 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 of the Bitcoin nodes are going to have uh, taproot and snore signature capabilities. Right. Yeah. So you're only going to start seeing the benefit of that down the road. Yeah, like the same thing happened with Segway. Like it was activated in what, like August 2017. But like, what we're well at now, maybe like 60% um, use. So it takes a while to like build out. And you know, like even once we have the rules activated, you need to build software that uses it and you know takes it to its fullest extent, which takes a while to build. And lots of people aren't really keen on building it while it's not activated and not ready. So, but um, once we do get it. In the works it'll be a lot greater i, I think uh ben i just wanted to clear uh like one point up for someone that maybe found the show and was really green could you explain shortly like what a re reorg is and the dangers you kind of touched on that and not sure people yeah. would get that let me jump back to the slide 
So what a reorg is, um, it means reorganization. So um, normally, so Bitcoin is just continue on with blocks. But say you have like two blocks at the same height, you know, like say a block 100, two miners find a, a valid block for that. Um, nodes don't know how to pick which one to uh, continue on. So what you do is you just wait for the next one. And so say a block 101 is building on uh, the first block you saw, block A. Then then um, block B, the, the other block that was at block 100, would then become invalid because it's now no longer part of the longest chain. And uh, that's generally the way how a reorg works. So it's just blocks that are part of the ch that are valid and could be part of the chain, but are not part of the longest chain. So then become um, like basically invalid at that point. So um, like with the software, how that works is though. So if they build on these old rules here, you know, it's still a valid block. And since they don't know these new rules, it's going to be competing with this other like second red block here. But once uh, since all the miners will be on these on this red chain enforcing the new rules. They're just going to mine blocks on top of it, and that'll eventually make this third blue block invalid because that blue block is no longer part of the longest chain, and therefore um, not going to like transfer over. But like all the transactions in this blue block will still be uh, like valid, and they'll be included in later blocks most likely. So. Um... I I was also writing down some questions in case people at home may not um or may need some extra clarifying. But why is it so difficult to upgrade Bitcoin, and why is that significant? It's difficult because Bitcoin's huge. Um, I mean, it's right today. It's like what like a two hundred billion dollar network. So I mean, there's a lot of there's a decent chunk of money riding on these uh, like to stay. You know useful and if we're just haphazardly changing things you know that 200 billion dollars could become at risk so that's like there's an economic incentive to make it hard to change as well as bitcoin's also huge in the user sense where there's you know thousands if not hundreds of thousand peoples or even millions of people using it and do you need all of us to agree to do this change or at least an economic majority which is hard and you know you need to communicate with all these people about these changes for to get to get them to want to do these upgrades so um and that's important too because if it was easy to do these changes then then it's easy for an attacker to make a change and you know if they want to make it so bitcoin's inflationary or something that's not good and we want that to happen so if it's hard to change then it prevents bad actors from coming in and actually making those changes yeah, I think it's really important and um, that it takes a lot of work and effort and time to change Bitcoin because we're trying to, you know, I say we, but, you know, it's really you guys and the people who working on the code and the miners, you know, we're trying to build up Bitcoin into this, you know, tr multi-trillion dollar asset. And it's like we can't have, you know, people coming and going, changing whatever they want. Uh, we have to build something that we can... 100% trust all of our money in and we have to um, know that when we put our money in it's not just going to disappear the next day yeah definitely I like to like put it into context as well like the internet protocol which I mean we're all using currently has been around since what the 80s and it's on 
the, like the base protocol for that is on version four or version four and version six are the two predominant versions and version six rolled out in like the late 90s i think is maybe 20 percent used so like once you have a large network it basically becomes impossible to change it like as we see with the internet where you know uh, the internet protocol version six is a soft fork and it's um, it enables a lot of better like optimizations and stuff but even that hasn't been fully utilized because you know there's just people don't upgrade their software because you know so I mean, if it if it does if it's not broke don't fix it mm-hmm I agree. Oh, I don't know about you, man, but I like the IP addresses the way they are. I don't like the new ones. And visually, I agree, but <laughs> we ran out. We we're actually out of IPv4 addresses now. We ran oh, out. Bro, the I, IPv4 addresses are just so much sexier, bro. IPv6 <laughs> is whack. That's why no one's upgrading. I'll give you so, that. <laughs> um, so does but, want... I'm but, sorry. Uh, go ahead. But Ben, man, that was a great presentation, man. That was that was really cool, and I think that a lot of people are going to learn from that. And like, I'll just add, you know, from like the mining perspective, right? Like, because you're coming from the software perspective, right? I think that it's important to emphasize that like miners are essentially paid security guards, right? Like, we don't hold any power um, whatsoever over the network. We do in the sense that we secure it, right? But we don't have any say in which, in what direction the power, the 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 the, the Bitcoin network is headed in in terms of software. And a great like uh, um, like a K, uh, like I, I would say you'd call it case history is the Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin Core and the Bitcoin Cash Fork, right? Where you know this my, giant mining consortium tried to take control of the of bitcoin and you know the the bitcoin nodes at the end of the day said no right so that's basically the way that i see it and um and and to add to that man it's it's it like yeah it sucks to update bitcoin but it's a double-edged sword right because that's what makes it so resilient is the fact that like in order for in order to update bitcoin it's not like you know an automatic update you you individually have to like go and update your own node by yourself right and like yeah that could be annoying to like kind of implement you know schnorr signatures and taproot and whatnot but at the same time it makes it really resilient because if there is somehow some bug that like you know fell through the cracks you know you know that at least 80 percent of the network still hasn't updated so it, it and it's it makes it very special man because no other no other crypto no other cryptocurrencies like that most of them require a complete hard fork like they need a, they need everyone to update in order for it to keep yeah. going you know and, and that like, look ruins... at ethereum they're number two cryptocurrency and they hard fork exactly like exactly at least once a year, exactly and then and then you know imagine all those dudes in the coma they're gonna wake up and they're gonna be like yo what the fuck vitalik and then they can't do anything they're fucked because their ethereum is worthless now because they didn't they didn't upgrade to e 2.0 with bitcoin i think that it's so important that backward compatibility like you running you know bitcoin core version one and the fact that you can communicate with bitcoin core what's the latest one it's like 20 point zero something whatever at, yeah. yeah um 
the fact that you can communicate that is super important because as a financial asset, like, you know, this is the backbone of, you know, that's the goal, right? The backbone of the financial world, you know, the dream of Bitcoiners, that needs to be possible. And just to add my, my final point, because um, I know Nick didn't want me to ramble on a little bit in terms of, of Bitcoin's rewrite days right now, it's at like I think it's at like 523. So it take 523 days, which like it sounds like not that much, but economically it's unfeasible, unfeasible, right? Because the annual revenue of, of Bitcoin mining is about 5.2 uh, billion, give or take. So think about that. So think about 5.2 billion times uh, 1.4 something. Right. And that's how much hash rate would be required for you to rewrite the whole Bitcoin chain. Right. Like that's how secure it is, you know, so it's pretty crazy. Uh, Nico, yeah. according to uh, Clark Moody's dashboard, the chain rewrite days is 553. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, these are these are coming off the top of my head. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nico, you're totally right. Like, um, uh, like I really can, like. What you said about like uh, how miners don't control their security guards. Like at the end of the day, they want to get paid. They can mine on another chain, and you know with the rules that they wanted. But if no one values that chain, then they're burning electricity for no reason and not going to get paid at the end of the day. So um, yeah, so we sh we don't exactly. need to be scared of miners, but it's good to be able to have a good relationship with them. Like it's nice where I can like we're not fighting against each other and we're both just building on the same chain. And I think you know. that, I think that that game theory really plays like, you know, it, it really plays a heavy, it has a heavy influence here because at the end of the day, miners just want to get paid, right? Like I just want to get paid, you know, at the end of the day, that that's, you know, that that's what I care about. Right. And I mine mostly Bitcoin, but I also mine, some shit coins, which I sell to Bitcoin. Why? Because it's very profitable. So like at the end of the day, if you're mining, all you care about is being able to pay uh, that electricity bill at the end of the month, right? And then pocket the profit, right? So miners essentially just want to just get paid. And if you look at what happened with Bitcoin Cash, which is the best example of why I keep bringing it up is that Bitcoin Cash didn't succeed because miners, it's not like, like forget about the ideals, right? Like, oh, we need bigger blocks and all that. All that goes out the window. What matters at the end to a miner is like, which chain is going to make me more money, right? That's what matters, right? So that's why I say that like my just pay security guards. Voting power is deciding whether you want to update a, a, a future software, a future Bitcoin core software or not, or, you know, or downgrade and say, hey, you know what, I want to go to version one, right? So that's your voting power as, as a node. And that is so much more significant than what any miner does. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, does anyone else have any more questions? Uh, we got a few. We got a few in the the question log. Uh, Jester, did you want to ask your question or? Yeah, I was curious uh, to Ben. Thanks so much for your presentation. Um, but uh, 
yeah, how does uh, how does game theory play into those activation strategies? Yeah, I think like me and Nico kind of hit on that, but like these miners, I mean, they're there for a profit, and like you know, with a flag day, um, you know, they'll say say it's happening tomorrow. Like the miner doesn't want to mine a block that's now invalid, so they're gonna want to upgrade their software and mine a block that is valid, so they can get paid for that uh, node for that block and get that block award and the same thing with a threshold activation you know they could be part of the small percentage that uh that didn't signal and not didn't upgrade their software so they can um you know because so they they can continue mining because they say they don't want to upgrade but now they're at threat where someone could feed them a block that is part that is invalid not uh, valid according to the new rules and they'll see it as valid and continue mining on it and but it'll get rejected by the network because we've upgraded to the new rules and you know so now that's an invalid block that they've just you know wasted energy on mining so uh, they're incentivized to stay on the best chain and the best chain will be following these new rules so um, it just kind of plays out where they're gonna do their best to stay on that Does that makes sense yeah. And and by the way, that happens all the time. It's it's like a hash war, right? Where like miners will send each other like stale blocks just so that they could waste their hash rate on it, so that the mining pool, the the other mining pools have a greater probability of finding that next block reward, right? It's like a war, dude. It's literally a war to find the next block, right? And you'll send you'll send stale blocks that you know that you know you know that what the the i don't i don't know how to describe it properly ben i think you could help me out here but you're just sending them like bs and there's they're there's they're just wasting electricity on that and it takes days for them to notice right because you have like when you mine it's an it's an average right so like let's say you have a 20 percent of the mining pool uh realistically you know in seven days you should be getting 20 percent of the rewards right but if you're getting like hash rate attacked, right? And for some reason, after seven days, you have 20% of the ha of the hash of the mining pool of, of the total hash rate. And for some reason you have seven or you have 11, you know, you're getting attacked. And now you, you kind of have to like, you know, like kind of mess around and try to figure out what's going on. The thing is all of that is good for Bitcoin because it, it's like, it's like the security guards are fighting over making bitcoin more secure so like for the user all that is good you know sweet uh we got one more question maxwell did you want to ask your question yeah i'll yeah um what's up guys max here um awesome uh, presentation ben as always i just wanted to ask just on your personal opinion what would you um what would you like to personally see um, you know, the course of action for, for this to actually be activated, um, you know, yeah. you know, like what type of, you know, do you want a flag day? Do you, you know, kind of, what do you, uh, what do you want? What would you like to see? Um, I think it's, I think we definitely do like a, uh, some BIP8 style activation where I think it'd be best to start out with a BIP8 false where we're not going to UASF at it at the end. And that should be, a, in my opinion, a last resort where, you know, like if miners are being assholes like they were in Segwit, be like, well then we could, you know, US UASF them, switch to a bit pay true and do what we want. But that's not a desirable thing to have to UASF. Um in my opinion, you know, you wanna treat your miners 
um, well. Like even even though they should be competing for us, it's nice if we can uh, work with them. And I mean that just makes it better because now if we're working with them, we're, they know we're not gonna you know like do like what Ethereum is doing is and you know it's like threatening to like make them useless or you know fork them out or whatever. So uh, I think in my opinion like a, a bit bait false where we start with that. If it doesn't get activated in a timely period, then we just go to a bit bait true and say screw them and then do what we want. Awesome. Yeah. Um, there's, and, uh, I'll go back. Another thing on that, uh, there, like, cause with, with, uh, with that, you could, you could just start with a bit bait true, but just doing a bit bait false, just basically just adds more review, review time where, you know, while it's not activated, we could be looking and, and, give us more time in case we do find our vulnerability or a bug in the code that uh, then we can wait it out and fix that and then deploy new, new stuff without having to, uh, you know, permanently fork in these, the bugged consensus rule if it happens. Beautiful. Uh, any more questions? Unmute yourself now or forever hold your peace. Ooh. Looks like that was the last of them. All right. All right. Beautiful. So, Ben, soon TM, roughly two years, eh? <laughs> nah, less than, I, I thought by this time next year, it'll be activated. For sure. All right. Well, Ben, thank you very much for coming on and, uh, you know, in uh, teaching all us, enlightening us, us plebs over here on the inner workings of Bitcoin. I really hope that uh, the people listening to this got got a lot of out of it. And uh, Nick, you wanna you wanna show us out, and then we'll stop this for today. Yeah. Um, thanks, Ben, for coming on um, and giving this presentation. It was nice after um, hanging out with you at Bitblock Boom and Optimus telling you about fifty times in three minutes <laughs> that you're going to come on our show. It wasn't even but, two weeks, bro. It wasn't even two yeah. weeks. <laughs> But um, yeah, thanks again for everyone who came out again. I think we had about 15 people here at at, um, at our high, and it's really nice seeing people consistently week in, week out, show up to the show and support us. It, you guys really make the show possible. So I, I'm really appreciative of that. And yeah, that's all I have to say. We'll be back next week. Yeah, and uh, just to add on, we'll we'll try to uh, keep the show a little more on tr on on the tracks and a little more informed. So, you know, we're we're trying to give you guys the best show out there listening, so you guys can uh, improve your knowledge. And uh, mm. on that one, are we good to go, Nick? One more thing. Next week we have another presentation and bit consultants. The, the man who let us borrow the presentation that Justifer did for um, how to create a do-it-yourself hardware wallet, he has more slideshows, and he's going to be on next week as our guest, and he's going to be he is going to be talking about transaction op optimization and fee management. So I think that's going to be really helpful for people to learn. So if that interests you, turn tune in again next week. And shout out to Citadel Twenty One. Shout out to shout out to Hot or Not. Shout out to Cadia, and all the other good people that work there. All right, peace out, guys. We'll see you next week. Peace.